Well, good morning, Grace Hill Church. I hope all of you are doing well this morning. Miss you. Wish we could be gathering together in person this morning, and we will do that in just a few Sundays on August 30th. We'll be back at Frying Pan Park so we can worship outside uh, together. But for this morning, man, we are so grateful just to have all the things that we need, the technology to be able to still gather together virtually online. So if you have your Bible, open that up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to spend some time studying that together this morning. We've been in a sermon series studying the Gospel of Luke. Remember, the Gospel of Luke is an orderly account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so we have just been week after week studying who is Jesus, what is he about, what did he teach, and what did he So, as many of you know, though, as we jump in this morning, over the last few weeks, we've been studying Luke's recording of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is a famous sermon taught by Jesus, and each gospel writer, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have components of this sermon in their gospel. So, the Gospel of Matthew has Uh, the longest recording of this, and and Luke's recording of the Sermon on the Mount is fairly short, but Luke organizes this sermon in his gospel in a very specific way, and what he does is he focuses on five specific teachings from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and all five of these teachings have something in common in that they are all five particular fruits that grow on a follower of Jesus. So we've been calling this short period of time that we've been in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, how to spot a Christian. Christian, because Jesus says uh, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we're actually going to study this next week, that you know a tree by its fruit. So it doesn't matter if you say you follow Jesus. What matters is if your life has evidence that you follow Jesus, something the Bible calls fruit. And so, so far, we've studied two uh, fruits from this sermon. And so if you missed those, you can go to our podcast, our YouTube channel, Facebook, all of the channels, and you can find our website, you can find... Uh, the audio and video of those past two sermons from the last two weeks. But this morning, here's the deal. We are going to be talking about the fruit that I think is probably the most important and most impactful for a Christian to be growing today. All right, let let me say that again. This is probably the most important and impactful fruit that a Christian could be growing. And it's also probably one of the hardest fruits to grow. And and this is also one of those fruits that if, if every person who says they are a follower of Jesus, if they grew this fruit, if the church globally was known, had the reputation of bearing this fruit, our witness in this world and our ability to speak prophetically into the culture would grow exponentially, right? We, we live in a culture today 
that really is unprecedented. And I don't say that lightly or flippantly at all, but our ability to communicate with one another, express opinions, form factions, add commentary to current events online instantaneously is unprecedented. And there's so much good that can come from that kind of technology. We're utilizing that right now. We're able to, at pretty low cost, live stream our worship services to you. So praise God for that. That's an amazing thing. But one of the things that is happening as a result of this in our culture is we are more quick to judge the character of a person before we even know the person. We are more quick to condemn a person based on very surface level evidence or assumptions before we even know them personally. If someone makes a certain political argument for anything, you'll now have a group of people who think that this person is just a fantastic person, they have great character, and you're going to have a group of people who think they are the absolute scum of the earth without even getting to know you. This is how our politicians lead us. This is the example the talking heads set for us. This is what our echo chambers reinforce for us. And unfortunately, this behavior is alive and well within the church. I see it at the denominational level as Christian leaders from different traditions are leading just like our politicians lead. If you don't agree with them 100%, well, they're going to assassinate your character. I see it on the local level and how small cliques and factions can even be found within churches. And even we can be so quick to judge and, and condemn and make assumptions about others before we even sit down, have a meal, get to know their story. How quick are we to make wholesale assumptions about someone based on a look or a passing comment? Right? How quick are we to make assumptions about someone based on a social media post? How quick are we to make assumptions about someone based on how they look or how they dress or how they vote or how they eat or how they parent or how they clean their house or the kind of car they drive or the way they laugh, the way they worship, how they show their stress, how often they come to church, the way they pray, and all of the things that they don't do that we think they should do. So just imagine what it would be like, just, just for a second, just imagine what it would be like to be a part of a community and a church family and the people in that community were the most unassuming, non-judgmental, give you the benefit of the doubt type of people that you have ever been around. Just imagine the kind of witness, the kind of impact, the reputation that the global church would have if, if that were true of every follower of Jesus. Where people say, listen, those Jesus people, like, I, I'm not sure if I'm on board with what they believe, but those people, those are the most 
unassuming, gentle, non-judgmental people I've ever been around. And just because of that, I'm actually kind of intrigued about what they believe because around them, around those Christians over there, I feel safe. Imagine that. And Jesus teaches us about a particular fruit that we must produce as Christians if we are to be these kinds of people. And here's the fruit. That fruit is self-awareness. Self-awareness. We cannot see other people clearly unless we have the humility to see ourselves clearly first. Let me say that again for you. We cannot see other people clearly unless we have the humility to see ourselves clearly first. Self-awareness. Let's see what Jesus had to say about this. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read for us from verses 37 to 42. Luke chapter 6. We're now in the uh, third fruit here on the Sermon on the Mount. So verse 37 says this. Jesus is teaching. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, I want to talk about the last part of this passage first, starting in verse 41. And then we'll we'll go back up to the beginning of this passage here in just a few minutes. But Jesus is asking a very probing question. Why is it so easy for you to see, to point out this small little speck in your neighbor's eye when you don't even have the self-awareness to see the log that is in your own eye? We can all understand the illustration that Jesus is using, but the the question we need to ask is, what does Jesus mean by a speck? And what does Jesus mean by a log? Right? Is, Is Jesus essentially saying that in order to be able to confront someone on something, 
the degree to which you might be guilty of the same offense has to be less than the other person. Right? Is this what Jesus is saying? Right? As long as, as your log or your speck is smaller than the other person's, then you're good to go to go do the confrontation or to get the speck out of the other person's eye. Like, I can only get on to my wife for leaving the towel on the bathroom floor as long as I don't leave my towel on the bathroom floor more than she does. And uh, that's not true. Right? Or I can only uh, tell someone else to watch their mouth only as long as I watch my mouth more. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that the teaching here? Who is guilty more of this particular offense? Let's keep score. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Because in this teaching, Jesus is not saying that we should never confront one another and point out the speck that is in someone's eye. Look at what he said at the end of verse 42. Jesus says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the log is not about who is better or less guilty of an offense than the other person. The log is something that blinds you from being able to see your brother or sister clearly. And one must have self-awareness and humility So when you see a speck in your neighbor's eye, to to, to stop and examine yourself to see if a log might be blinding you. So what is the log that could be in our eye that blinds us from seeing our brothers and sisters clearly? Here is my definition of the log. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Here is my definition of the log. The log in our eye is any desire to point out the speck in our neighbor's eye other than genuine love and care for our neighbor. Did you get that? Let me, let me say that again. Here, here's the log. The log is, in our eye is any desire at all, anything, any desire, to point out the speck in your neighbor's eye other than genuine love and care for your neighbor. Right, so I want you to think about the times when you point out something that's wrong with another person, at least in your opinion. Right? We do this all the time. And this can be done in multiple ways. Right? Uh, uh, remember, Jesus asks us, and this is verse 41, he says, How can we see a speck in our brother's eye with the log in our own eye? And so... And then he also asks in verse 42, how can we actually go and try to take that speck out of our neighbor's eye with a log in our own eye? So we can point out specks in people's eyes in different ways. You can do it actually in person by doing a confrontation. You can just do it by seeing it and and you're pointing it out in your silent judgment inside. Or you could also point it out to another person like gossip or, or slander, right? But when we notice something wrong with another person, when we are dwelling on someone else's flaws, it's not usually, sometimes it is, but usually it's not from a place of genuine, loving care for that person. Oftentimes, 
We have other desires, other motivations that are causing us to focus on that speck. And these desires are the logs in our eyes. And the reason why the log blinds you from seeing the other person clearly is because that log causes you to make assumptions about the other person in order to help fill your desire. Okay, let me, let me give you an example. So let's say one day you walk into the kitchen of your house and you find that your spouse or your roommates or maybe your kids left just this huge mess, just huge mess. And you're upset because this happens all the time and you're, you're tired of having to clean up after them. This is a speck. And don't get me wrong, it can be very loving to address this problem. Jesus is not saying that we don't address issues, but here's the log. In a rush of frustration, you begin to list out all of the things inside of your head that you do around the house and all the things that they don't do around the house. And you're so focused on this speck that you've now painted this person in your heart and in your mind as this sloppy pig who doesn't consider any other person but themselves. And so now you're ready to confront. You confront this other person armed with the list of everything that they have done wrong, and you let all that frustration out in an attempt to make the other person feel bad because that's your true desire, to punish, to make them feel guilty, bad. The log causes you to make assumptions and exaggerations to fuel your desire to punish, and it has done nothing to actually address the real problem. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not uh, a type A confrontational type person, so maybe the log looks like this. You walk into the kitchen and just a wave of bitterness comes across your countenance. You go silent as you remember all of the times that you've had to clean up and you start to think about all of the things they don't do, all the things you do. You start cleaning the dishes, you mix in a few sighs, you bang the dishes a little louder, hoping the other person will notice that you're cleaning their mess. You hope that the other person will feel guilty but the longer they don't catch on, the more your assumption about them is reinforced they are clueless. They are inconsiderate, right? And when they ask if something is wrong, you say, no, everything's fine. But your silence, your cold shoulder, your bitter look is all designed to make the other person pay. See, the desire that these logs represent is the desire for retribution to make the other person feel bad. Right? If you're married, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If you're married, I would guess that 50% of your conflicts are complicated by that particular log. Wanting to make the other person feel bad. So imagine if we had the self-awareness to say, I'm angry. I'm frustrated right now about this. So now's not a good time to, to deal with this because what my heart wants to do is make them pay for this. So when I get this log out of my eye, that's when I'll be able to have this conversation and actually deal with the speck in a much more productive 
and loving way. That's self-awareness, and that's not easy. And there are all kinds of different logs that blind us from clearly seeing other people. Could be the log of fear. Maybe another person's appearance or behavior makes you uncomfortable, and so you make assumptions. Could be the log of wanting to just show yourself to be better than another person. Maybe at work. It could be the log of getting likes on social media, so you go after groups of people, make accusations, and contribute to the childish dialogue of our day. could be the log of just wanting to win the argument, or the log of annoyance, parents, preaching to myself right now, how often are we pointing out specks in our kids' eyes and the log in our eyes, we're just annoyed embarrassed maybe the log of wanting to be in charge maybe we keep finding flaws in our boss at work because we think we would do a better job I'm sure there's many many more other logs right and all of these logs cause us to make assumptions about others to fuel our desire and it damages relationships And Jesus is calling upon his followers to do something different and distinct in the world. Guys, this is how the world operates. This is the world that we live in. So think about the opportunity that the church has to be distinct here by being people who have self-awareness to do the introspective work of getting that log out of the way before we continue to think about and point out the specks in other people's eyes. That, that, I mean, just imagine this, that every single time we as the church, we as Christians, as Jesus followers, every time we are dealing with the flaw of another person, the failure of another person, it is not from a place of being self-serving, but it's always loving, always gentle, always caring. Could you imagine if Jesus' church was known for that? Not for being judgmental, but for being safe. This fruit, the fruit of self-awareness, is a distinctly Christian fruit because we have a God who sees us with perfect clarity, including every flaw, and we have a lot of those. Yet he perfectly loves us. We have a God who's got nothing in his eye. He sees clearly And he has no desire other than genuine, loving care for his creation. And so for the Christian, it is safe. It's safe for us to have self-awareness, to admit our self-serving motives, because we will not be met with condemnation nor punishment for that, but we will be met with the grace of God Right, right. Family, if you depend on the gospel, you have nothing to lose when it comes to being self-aware. When it's time to be self-aware, when you're ready to go and get a speck out of somebody else's eye, 
And you have that moment where you know there's other desires there. You know there's other stuff going on inside of your heart. And that's a moment that you can be self-aware. Our pride will get in the way and prevent us from doing that. And you don't need to do that. We've got nothing to lose to be self-aware because we're secure in Christ. You have nothing to hide. God already knows it all. and He already accepts you. I mean, this is... This is the gospel right right here. God can clearly see our flaws, and he does point them out, by the way, but he does so with perfect clarity and out of genuine, loving care for us to the point that he sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sin and all of our flaws. God doesn't deal with our flaws in such a way that damages our relationship with him and pushes us further away. No, he at his own expense deals with our flaws in such a way that draws us closer together. And so it makes absolutely no sense that Jesus' church would have a reputation for being judgmental and for condemning people. Makes zero sense. How could we judge others, make assumptions, and push people away when our God does the exact opposite? The bedrock and foundation of our faith is the exact opposite of that. So this is why Jesus' teaching on this topic begins the way it does in verse 37. Where he says, hey, for the measure that you forgive, for the measure that you condemn, for the measure that you judge others, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is essentially saying that if you have actually received the mercy and the grace of God, if you have the self-awareness to know that you need the mercy and the grace of God, then you will be a merciful and gracious person because it doesn't make sense to not be. And it's impossible to be gracious and merciful if you don't have self-awareness. You know, there's a lot of talk in our world today about how the church needs to influence culture or wage a culture war in our country for biblical values. A lot of talk about that. You know, we need to fight for things like marriage and the life of the unborn and religious liberty and we need to oppose the sexual revolution, among other things. All good things to advocate for, but oftentimes, this fight that some speak of looks a lot like dwelling on the specks of our world's eyes, of our culture's eyes, of our neighbor's eyes. Judging and condemning people for their lifestyle, their ideology, making accusations, making assumptions, exaggerating about people in order to fight this war. Jesus never called us to fight a culture war. He never called his church to wage that kind of war. And I believe there are a few logs in the eyes of the American evangelical church that needs to get taken out like the log of power and influence, the log of fear of losing our way of life, the log of wanting to be proven right to the world, the log of church growth. 
doesn't feel like the desire and motivation of the church in this war is rooted in genuine love and care for our neighbors. See, remember what Jesus said. First, get the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly, you will see clearly to be able to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Imagine how effective the voice of the church would be how prophetically we could speak into our culture if we got the logs out of our eyes. Because we would actually see clearly and we would understand that Jesus has not called us to fight a culture war, but to make disciples one soul at a time. So I'll say it again. Imagine with me being a part of a church where people have the self-awareness to get the logs out of their eyes and they always act out of genuine, loving care. Imagine the witness and the credibility of our voice if we interacted with our culture in this way. It starts with you. It starts with me. Let's be people, you and me, who have self-awareness and examine ourselves before we try and deal with the speck in our neighbor's eye, in our kid's eye, in our spouse's eye, in, in one another's eye, in our culture's eye. And we can only grow in this self-awareness through growing in our awareness of God's unrelenting love for us shown by his grace and mercy. You have truly cast your life upon the grace and the mercy of God. And you will be a gracious and merciful and gentle, unassuming person. God always acts out of genuine, loving care for us. And now he has called us, his church, to love one another and to love our neighbor in the same way. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we dig into your word, we dig into this fruit that Jesus teaches us about on his Sermon on the Mount. Lord, it's challenging. Lord, I, I can't help but think of all of the ways as I'm even teaching this now of, Lord, how I fall so short and how so quickly I can react and, and try and point out the specks in others' eye and I'm just so unaware of the logs in my own. God, we need help with this. And so God, would you help us to be a people who have self-awareness and humility? And Lord, we, we so trust in the gospel. We so trust in your grace and your mercy that we feel safe, that we feel as if we have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, to begin to be self-aware, to point out those desires in us, those self serving desires that just damage relationship. And God, I pray 
for your church that, God, this would be the reputation that we have. That our culture would, in the midst of everything that's going on and all the uncertainty and all of those things, would look to the church as a safe place to go. God, we want to be those kinds of people. We pray that you would help us with that. God, we praise you and we thank you for your mercy upon us. We need it. We ask these things in Christ's name.